Hello and welcome to Dr. What Now with me, Zoe Valbray, and me, Ines Pinheiro. This is the show that explores the exciting world of post-PhD careers in life sciences. Each episode, we chat to a special guest who has left academia and successfully transitioned to a different career path. We hope that these career insights can help you see what opportunities are out there after your PhD. Before we start, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram with the handle at doctor underscore what now and on our website www.drwhatnow.com. And now let's jump into this episode. Okay, so today we have a very special episode. We have not one but two guests, uh, Elsa Martins and Francesca Tesaro, who are both Uh, clinical science fellows at Roche in Basel in Switzerland. Hi, thanks for coming on. Hi, hi Zoe. Hi Zoe, thanks for having us. So can we start off just by telling us a bit about yourselves? Um, yeah, what, what's your name, where you're from, a bit about your background? Okay, so I'll start. Uh, my name is Elsa and I am originally from Portugal. And my background is in pharmaceutical sciences. I obtained uh, my master's degree in um, pharmaceutical sciences in the University of Porto in Portugal. And then after that, I moved to Switzerland to obtain my PhD uh, in the University of Geneva. And when I finished my PhD, As my lab had recently spun off a biotech company, mm -hmm. I continued in the same lab as a postdoc for an additional year, uh, this time conducting early, early stage um, drug discovery activities as part of this academia and biotech uh, collaboration. And finally, in 2021, I joined Rush as a clinical science fellow in product development. Francesca? So about me, so my name is uh, Francesca Testaro and uh, I'm also a pharmacist uh, as a background like Elsa. I graduated in Italy at the University of Padova and then uh, I actually uh, moved to Geneva a little bit earlier than uh, the starting of my PhD because uh, I did uh, my master thesis um, in the laboratory of Professor Scapozza in Geneva, and then I stayed for my PhD. Uh, at the end of the PhD, I did a one-year postdoc uh, at the University of Lausanne, and now, since November 2021, I'm a clinical science fellow here at Roche, like Elsa, in the neuroscience department. Okay, so thank you. So this... Um podcast, as you know, is for PhD students or postdocs leaving academia and to get insights in, in different careers. Um, so can we start by just knowing a bit about your PhD? Could you tell us each in a nutshell uh, what it was? Uh, we can start with you, Elsa. Yeah, so I, I did my PhD in the lab of Dr. Oliver Hartley um, in the pathology and immunology department. And my PhD was all about CCR5. So CCR5 is a chemokine receptor belonging to the superfamily of G-protein coupled receptors. And on my thesis, I, I was using chemokine analogs to study the biology and the pharmacology 
of this of this receptor. Mm -hmm. Francesca. So regarding my PhD, so I did my PhD in the group of Professor Scapozza uh, in the pharmaceutical biochemistry uh, group at the University of Geneva. And uh, as part of the PhD, I have learned to use uh, different computational tools uh, in uh, drug discovery projects. And uh, I was actually um, deriving structural models and make prediction about uh, mechanism of action of relevant therapeutic targets like protein and RNA. And then with the combination with experimental validation, uh, we were able to confirm the structural model and prediction. And I have worked in several uh, drug discovery projects uh, in different therapeutic areas like uh, rare disease and uh, also malaria and also antibiotic resistance uh, uh, bacteria. Okay, thanks. So already you both had kind of a, um, a pharma and drug background during your PhD. Um, so can you tell us a bit about what your experience and what skills you gained? So, uh, not only practical technical skills, but also kind of soft skills that you might use, uh, later in your career right now. So we can start with Francesca this time. So my experience, uh, uh in the PhD was, uh, very positive. I actually have a very nice memories of the PhD time. Of course, I should not lie that, uh, sometimes uh, you have some bad days where uh, some experiments are not working very well and uh, the results uh, that you are expecting uh, they are not really showing what you wish there's <laughs> always see. ups and downs exactly but uh, overall I, I really I really like and I have a very positive PhD experience yes so uh, I would say one of the main skills that I gained during the PhD uh, is about uh, communication in different aspects because uh, we use communication for writing articles, abstract, to prepare oral presentation, either at conference, different uh, with different public actually. So you really need to uh, be cautious about uh, the, the type of communication you need to have. And also not only on a formal uh, presentation, also when you have to communicate with different stakeholders. I was actually working in a very multidisciplinary team. So I really need to um, adapt my communication uh, and to really be able to interact with the scientists from different backgrounds. And so this was a, a skill that I very, I really, actually practice uh, quite a lot mm. and also I mean I guess as as a good PhD students we are really becoming very good in uh, planning organizing and uh, and also developing a very critical mindset when you are looking at the data yeah that's an important part of uh, yeah. PhD thanks and uh, Elsa can you tell us a bit about your your PhD yes of course um so like Francesca I I also had a very positive experience in the lab. Um, the team, the team was great. There was a good spirit. Um, I got a lot of support from 
different members of the team, technicians, other PhD students, our supervisor that was as well, you know, very attentive to, to our career development, which, which was great. And when it comes to the skills that I've developed, I have to say that as Francesca, I would really put a focus on communication skills, mm -hmm. really made me able to learn how to pass the message to a target audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, adapting your message and how you express it to the audience who you're talking yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. So try to understand who will be in front of you and what's the best way of saying what you want to say so that they get the, the desired take home, take home message. And this is still, I would say, really important for the job that uh, you know we, we do today. And mm -hmm. It's still a working progress, so we still learn about it uh, as as we go. But I think this is really um, this is really central. So yeah, it sounds like you both had good PhD experiences. And can you tell us um, how how did you decide your next step? So were you considering? I guess you both did short postdocs. Were you considering staying in academia or what were you, um, yeah, what were you considering? Uh, Francesca? Yes. Um, regarding uh, my particular experience, I had to anticipate uh, when I finished the PhD, it was COVID time. So I actually applied for a, a early mobility postdoc from the SNF which I got it to go to the US. Um, and uh, that was, as I mentioned, a very uncertain time. And uh, at the time I actually not really go to the US because of COVID. And uh, I decided then to um, postpone this uh, postdoc opportunity to take another postdoc opportunity in Lausanne. Okay. That was a very nice uh, uh, occasion for me, and uh, that's why I decided to to, to take this uh, opportunity. I was uh, in the same research field, so uh, in computational uh, molecular modeling area. About the next step, um, I actually uh, had the, the chance to to apply for this fellowship position in uh, clinical research and clinical science. And that for me was a very big change in my career path. And uh, I questioned myself quite a lot, I have to be honest, because uh, as I said, it, it was a very big change coming, going from more uh, early discovery, fundamental research to towards the clinical settings. But um, I was also curious to see um, also the nice molecule we were discovering where they, they were then developing into the clinics because I guess uh, one of the most important things to, to understand is that the clinical research, the clinical science role, it's it's really um, on the development of the drug mm -hmm. throughout the clinical settings. And this is a very long journey and it requires a lot of scientific background. So... Yeah, that was uh, the, the the transition in in my case. So yeah, transitioning from maybe the more early stages to then the more clinical and translate translational side in uh, in yeah. a company. 
And and how about you, Elsa? What were you thinking towards the end of your PhD and postdoc? And what were you yeah. looking for? During my PhD, I think like everyone, I was also questioning myself, right? It's not like I was completely sure of what I wanted. Um, I started, you know, attending career events, talking with people that uh, were in different career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was as well not sure whether to still seek um, a postdoc, you know, in a, in a different lab. Um yeah or whether to move to industry, and then if so, to do what? Because uh, I also was not very knowledgeable about what was out there. Yeah, it's hard to know when you've just been in academia. Yeah, exactly. So you read all of those job descriptions and you can't even understand properly uh, what they would actually translate into. And so then towards the end of the PhD, so as I mentioned, um, there was this opportunity to continue in the same lab, um, but doing something different, similar in the same field, but different. Right? I would start to work in uh, early drug discovery. So I thought, you know, this is quite exciting and it would be a nice opportunity um, and a nice stepping stone um, into my into my next move, let's say. Um, and I also really like, you know, the environment and the team. So I thought, okay, that's that's a good um, opportunity, and I will stay uh, a little bit more. Yeah, it's also great that your lab had this academic and more drug discovery side, so that you could get a bit of a foot into um, industry. Yeah, also, and then during this period, um, you know, this started to having that exposure started to make me curious about, you know, what comes next then, right? So how is a drug developed? What happens in the next steps? Um, and finally, I've decided that I would like to to go to industry and um, to work, you know, in, in drug development. Uh, although in all honesty, I didn't know exactly in which type of function or which type of role. And then, you know, this opportunity came up. So then I applied and I started the interviewing process. That was very helpful. I think um, during the interviews, I learned a lot about what the role could potentially be, Mm -hmm. uh, right? And I think it's important to ask that also during an interview, try to get some insights into, what the daily work is about, what the role is is about. And then I thought, okay, this seems interesting. And uh, yes, and then I joined. But yeah, you you saw it and you went for it and you learned along the way, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And actually, I, I enjoyed quite a lot. So that was a good, good, uh, good decision. A good, outcome. <laughs> a good uh, leap of faith. Um, so now you're you're both uh, clinical science fellows at Rush. Um, can you tell us what is a clinical uh, science fellow, Francesca? Yeah, so maybe just starting from the, the the role. So the fellow is because it's a part of the fellowship, but uh, and this is a trainish trainership position. So the idea is uh, that you are. Uh, working closely with the clinical science team that is normally 
working in developing a molecule in, mm -hmm. in the clinical trial settings. I should just mention that both me and Elsa, we are in the late stage. So meaning that uh, in our department, we are mainly working in uh, uh, phase two, phase three studies. But it can also happen that we have like a phase 1B studies, uh, so earlier phase studies. Okay. Um, and yeah, just this is a more late stage uh, department. And as I say, the, 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 the fellowship program is meant to be uh, to get trained into the clinical science position. So, of course, the, the first year is a lot to learn. We are always um, closely working with clinical science, but I would really say like after six months, you become more independent and you can really become really as a junior clinical scientist role. And also as part of the fellowship, I, I, we also have um, some trainings and um, and. So I guess that helped your um, transition into the company, having more senior yes. people train you and then also mentoring more junior people. Yes, exactly. This is really the aim is really help you in this transition. So helping to get you to know the company and also the, the, the position itself. Yeah. Uh, Elsa, could you tell us a bit about like what is a typical day? What do you do? Like if you were explaining to a PhD student who has their project in the lab, how would you describe what you do every day? Yeah. Um, so the clinical science function um, is responsible, not by itself, okay? So as part of a multifunctional team mm -hmm. um, that includes, you know, biostatistics, regulatory affairs, um, biomarkers, safety, data sciences, so there Operational. are operations, so there are many uh, stakeholders involved, uh, but the, um, so the clinical scientist is responsible to, for the overseeing of a clinical study and making sure that the study is being properly handled okay. um, as per the study protocol, right? So that the study protocol is being followed um, with the ultimate goal of assuring the quality of the data that we collect uh, and that we're going to have um, at the end to make the analysis of our of our endpoint while you know very important making sure that the, the safety of of the patients is you know the, the priority so would um, you be in charge because you were saying you work more on for example phase two would mm -hmm. you be in charge of the whole phase two trial yeah so normally you are assigned to one study or or more, it can be that you work in more than one study. And then in each study, there is, you know, a big team with representatives from the different functions that I just mentioned. And then there is also, uh, you know, a clinical scientist. Mm -hmm. And the typical responsibilities, they, they vary a lot because, you know, clinical study is very long. Mm -hmm. 
depending on the stage uh, where it is, um, where the, the stage at which the study is, the type of work that you need to do also changes quite a lot, but it can include writing the study protocol, um, okay. or I should say contributing to the writing of the study protocol because all of the functions, again, need to, um, to bring input into that. Um, so it's kind of team, of teamwork at each step. Yeah, it's really teamwork. Um, you can also, you know, we are also the, the point of contact for uh, questions that the sites might have on the study protocol. Um, we also perform a medical data review uh, of the data that we, uh, we collect throughout the study. Uh, we can also attend, you know, conferences, participate in the preparation eventually of, of abstracts to, to submit to those conferences. So it's really very, very variable. And, and we do spend a lot of time meeting and discussing with our colleagues from, from our function and also from the, from the other functions um, as well. Okay, so you're you're kind of in charge of the the safety and the science of the the phase of the clinical trial yes primarily the science because there is a separate function that is called um safety ah, okay uh, and they are more focused on that but obviously you know the 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 Clinical science and the safety functions, they are very close to each other. So we work, uh, you know, very, very closely. Okay. Um, that sounds yeah. really interesting. So you, you're kind of planning the study, writing the protocol, um, and also looking at the data that's generated and mm -hmm. I guess then like planning the next steps from that. Yes. Then we are also participating, you know, in, in the analysis of the data at the end. Um, and in the filing, um, and in the filing, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can quickly say something about that part because uh, actually, currently, I'm uh, working in a study that is preparing for the filing. So there is, as Elsa she was mentioning, a lot of data analysis, reviewing of the data from a medical perspective. So is the filing when it gets accepted for? The is, drug gets um, exactly approved. when when uh, is actually not actually when it gets approved, but when you submit to the health authorities. Uh, okay. Uh, all the primary analysis data from your study. Okay, thank you. And um, so yeah, it sounds like a very varied job, and also yeah, using some of these skills from your PhD, like the analysis and analyzing the data, being critical. Um, would you say, how does it compare to academia? Like, is it more of a nine to five job? Um, it varies a lot. It varies a lot on the team. Uh, as I said, uh, it is a global company. So sometimes uh, you, you need to allocate uh, meetings late in the evening because mm, okay. maybe you have part of the colleagues in the US. So it's, it varies day, day by day in this sense. Yeah, I guess in such a big cooperation when you're working exactly. with people all over the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, it, 
it's not happening every day, but it might happen that uh, you have a period where your working hours they are a little bit shift. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so a question we like to ask all our guests, uh, what are your roses and thorns? So what parts of your job do you enjoy the most and what were, what are the biggest challenges or maybe the, the steepest learning curves? What I enjoy the most, um, I would say working as part of a team mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you are, you are collaborating with different people. Each of them has their expertise that they bring in and and you also share the tasks that you are doing. So you are responsible for it, for your piece, but at the same time, uh, you you are supported and you are part of a, of a team, which is something that I really like. I appreciate more than working by myself. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes during our PhD, it can happen that when things go uh, not so well, uh, you might feel like, you know, you are alone and it's your problem. Uh, even if, you know, you have a good support from your lab and from your mentor, at the end of the day, it's your project. Um, so personally, I really prefer working as part of uh, yeah. as part of the team. So that's something I really like. Um, and I also like the fact that um, the work that we do might potentially benefit the patients right so this is something very rewarding let's say um when you think about about your job and why why you do it that's something that i i appreciate uh, quite a lot as well yeah developing a real treatment that could help patients Mm -hmm. and then the challenges um when i joined I think the the biggest challenge at the beginning was really understand how the company is structured. You know, the different teams, uh, the different functions, the different departments, and also understanding if you need something, who should you contact? What is the right function? uh, Who is responsible for what? I think in the beginning, it does take um a while to understand this but uh, after some time you get up to speed so that's uh, that's fun I can imagine just from seeing the rush building in uh Basel I can imagine it's it's a huge complicated structure um so yeah going on to advice so <laughs> we we have um many listeners who are earlier yeah. career researchers so PhD students or uh, early postdocs what advice um what advice would you give them from what you've learned or you can go to francesco if you... yeah. so i about when um, you just mentioned early career researcher i, I would really give a, a piece of advice about the importance of networking mm-hmm. and giving the importance of networking not only on the last year of your phd but since the beginning it's so important to create a very big network in all the possible occasion within the university, outside the university, in doing courses, doing conference, really try to build up your network uh, as a yeah professional and scientific network. It's very important also to help you understanding 
what are the possibilities outside? And uh, this is a process that it requires a lot of time to, to, to see which are the possibilities, the opportunities, and uh, what you would like also to do after your PhD. So, yeah. Do you think you learn a lot from chatting to people? I mean, a bit like this podcast, we're, we're chatting to people in different roles and just hearing day to day. Yeah, yes, of course. This is one of the parts that I, I would say talking with people, it's very important. And of course, reading and uh, having, yeah, as, as you were mentioning, having the possibility to interact with people to, yeah, to get to learn what they are, what are the possibility. I yeah, I would strongly recommend to really. It's uh, never too early to start networking. Okay, nice, nice advice. Something to add to yeah. what uh, you know, Francesca just said. So, you know, when when you come to the end of uh, of your PhD or or your postdoc, depending on where where you where you're at, and you want to look for your next opportunity, then you know, you have to, of course, you have to apply for jobs and then you have to prepare yourself for, you know, potential, potential interview. Um, and here, I think my advice would be to really reflect on all the things that you have done during your research period and how they translate into skills that would then, you know, be useful later on because even when it doesn't directly um seem like you know there is some something in between the lines of you know xyz uh techniques that you have done or uh people you have worked with um there is so you should really try to to explore the the potential of the things that you have done um and also those things that are particular, right? Even if it doesn't seem like the type of thing you would put in your CV, because maybe it's not directly related to the work that you have done, but if there is something that you are proud of uh, that you know you have done in your life, you know now or some years before, that's probably also something that you can bring up. Um, yeah, or something that makes you stand out stand out from the crowd okay thanks and um so this is a kind of a more personality question but do you do you believe in this five-year plan or more go with the flow Francesca yeah maybe <laughs> I remember a colleague of mine at the end of the PhD he told me you know, after you have the PhD, it will be a roller coaster because <laughs> all your plans they are changing every five minutes. Uh, but it's exciting. It's true. It's very exciting. <laughs> but uh, yes, I think uh, it's good to have plan. I think it's good to have a vision. It's good to make plan in order to also to to project you in in the project that you are building upon you. But it's also true that you need to keep your eyes open because if an opportunity comes, you really, and if you consider that it's a very important opportunity for your career, yeah, be ready eventually to, to be able to change your plan. So 
yeah, just to yeah. summarize, I think it's good to have plans, but also eventually be able to, to change on the course of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of both then. Yeah. yeah thanks. Elsa, do you have something to add on? Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, you know, my, my vision as well. And I remember that my PhD advisor used to tell me very often that planning is essential, but the plan means nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, prepare yourself, but be also receptive to what might come might come your way. Yeah. No, it sounds very realistic to, to think a bit into the future and which direction you're going, but have an open mind because we can't get stuck on one mm. um, tiny goal. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the great advice. Okay, so if there's a listener that's um, listened to our conversation and thinks that kind of role might be for them, uh, a PhD student, how would you advise them um, to apply for or get this kind of similar role as a, a clinical scientist? Yeah, so I uh, I really advise for looking for fellowship opportunities. Um, yeah, for instance, uh, in this specific role, um, there might be uh, different opportunities for fellow. Um, and uh, as I see until now, or to my experience and to my knowledge, uh, uh, this is a very good way to have a fit in and to have a eventually possibility for an entry position eventually in the future. So, yeah, I would really advise to look for internship, fellowship, um, also to have an experience about what the the job is about and and to see how is the difference between working in academia, working in industry, what you can learn, what you can eventually, where you can grow yourself. And okay. So you think a kind of more temporary internship or fellowship could help a PhD student to make the jump to a more permanent job in clinical sciences? I would, uh, yeah, I would say yes. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for coming on our podcast. Yeah, really exciting to learn more about um, your day-to-day -day job as clinical scientists. Thanks a lot, Zoe. It was a real pleasure for me. Yeah, Thank likewise. You. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. What Now? Do you want more episode updates or want to get in contact with us? Dr. What Now is on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at Dr. Underscore what now, and on our website, www.drwhatnow.com. We're always looking for more guests to invite, so get in touch. See, See you, you next time. time.